On this edition of FedGov Today with Francis Rose, the forecast for the Navy's sea domination, industry's role in the readiness run-up, and the Coast Guard's plan for its unmanned fleet. It's Wednesday, April 12, 2023. Welcome to a bonus edition of FedGov Today with Francis Rose, sponsored by Kerasoft and Salesforce. Today, more coverage from the Navy League Sea Airspace 2023. First, the FedGov Today television show's coming Sunday morning, April 30th at 10.30 on ABC7 in Washington, D.C. My guests on that first show include the Secretary of the Air Force, Frank Kendall, and the new Commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service, Danny Werfel. If you miss any episodes of the TV show or the podcast, you can always find every TV show and every podcast on demand at fedgovtoday.com. Naval Meteorology and Oceanography Command features six major commands under it. One of them is Fleet Weather Center Norfolk. Captain Erin Acosta is commanding officer of Fleet Weather Center Norfolk at Sea Airspace 2023. She says her command's a sister command to Fleet Weather Center San Diego. Our dominant mission, if you will, is uh, safety of flight and safety of navigation. And so we have a 24-7 operations floor uh, with military and civilian personnel that do and provide forecasts uh, for our aviators, uh, for our surface uh, ships, as well as our submarines operating in the, in the Gulf, in the Atlantic Ocean, in the Mediterranean, and up into the Arctic, and uh, south into the Antarctic. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that mission, we also have a ship routing mission where we work work with um, ship captains, we work with uh, Sea Lift Command, uh, Army vessels, really any ship in the Atlantic Basin uh, to get them from point A to B across the Atlantic and in around significant weather that might be, be uh, stressing uh, their capabilities and limitations to make sure that we get them to where they want to go on time. Uh, safely for protection of their asset and their sailors uh, and uh, maximize their time on station to meet mission. Mm-hmm. And so that's really the bread and butter out of our building. Uh, additional missions that we have, we have a resource protection mission where we uh, provide watches and warnings of significant weather to about 42 uh, installations and fleet concentration areas across the eastern half of the United States. Mm-hmm. And so with that, we provide them watches and warnings uh, if they have any type of significant severe weather, uh, Uh, Anything from thunderstorms to hail to winds uh, so they can protect their people and protect their assets. The second part of our resource protection mission is uh, tropical cyclones. And so we work very closely with the National Hurricane Center to to package the DOD's official forecast uh, in the Gulf and the Atlantic Basin. And we work with Commander Navy Region uh, Southeast, Mid-Atlantic, Naval District Washington, and Northeast on onset of significant weather, so high winds and seas, uh, as well as surge uh, to protect their assets and make the right decisions uh, for their respective uh, installations. We also work with the fleet commanders when it comes to sortie recommendations ahead of onset of heavy seas and winds mm-hmm. uh, to get our ships out safely as necessary. It sounds like a tremendously so, data-intensive operation. Absolutely. How has that changed over time as you've gotten better, more sophisticated, more technologically advanced ways to collect that data, to collate it, and to curate it and save it now? Absolutely. Thank you for the question. So uh, from a data-intensive standpoint, yes. <laughs> yes, and. Uh, but the more uh, characterization, the better characterization we can do for our environment, uh, the better uh, forecasts we have ultimately that we can give the fleet. 
into our customers. And so uh, we benefit from the great work at Fleet Numerical Meteorology and Oceanography Center uh, and every other platform of opportunity out there that can take an in situ measurement so that we can validate our models, our ocean and atmospheric models, uh, so that we can really do a point forecast and an along the track forecast for our various customers. Mm -hmm. And so the better they are, the better we are uh, and the better we can keep our, our uh, customers safe. Are there particular technologies that have enabled the advancement of the work that you're doing? Are there certain things that you can do now technologically that you couldn't do two years ago, five years ago? I'm sure 10, when you mm -hmm. get to the 10, 20 uh, year window, there's been tremendous advancements. No, thank you for the question. So I would say it's a combination of uh, how we do um, satellite environmental monitoring monitoring, uh, advancement in our own modeling capability, both in uh, resolution vertically and horizontally, uh, as well as just using various platforms of opportunity to take an in-situ measurement, mm -hmm. whether it's undersea, whether it's on the water, or whether it's in the air. So it's a combination of all of that to include partnership with industry. We have certain craters in place where we can uh, put, for example, spotter booties out to really, in a data sparse area, uh, familiarize and understand the environment. Uh, similarly, uh, one of the commands that fall underneath me uh, is the uh, National Ice Center, U.S. Naval Ice Center. And so we have the ability, for example, to deploy uh, ice buoys up in the Arctic mm -hmm. uh, to truly understand the environment up there so that we can safety of life at sea. What do, you see, what do you see in, the, uh, in respect to the way that the climate is impacting the way that na the Navy goes about doing its business? Thank you for the question. So... Um, we flex to our customer needs. And what I mean by that is there's a resurgence of operations in the high latitude, for example. And so uh, it's how we can uh, best characterize the environment, either in the high north or the high south, um, so that we can keep those ships safe uh, up and to and in and around the ice edge. And uh, equally as much, uh, we support, for example, uh, the U.S. Coast Guard cutters that can do the Northwest Passage and go through the ice. And so we have a close relationship with the Coast Guard through the Naval Ice Center, but also my ship routers uh, help them navigate those uh, waters as they open up. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, geopolitical necessity out of that, but also as the ice changes from year to year, we can see different operational patterns, uh, either subsurface or on the surface that we can flex to. What are the skill sets that your workforce uses most? What are the things that you need most workforce-wise in order to be able to, to perpetuate your work, ma'am? Thank you for the question. So sci from a scientific perspective, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I have a combination of military and civilian watch standards. So our aerographers mates go into a, and through a very intensive uh, school program uh, where they learn forecasting and forecasting theory and, and dynamics uh, to be able to produce the products that we do, uh, both in their uh, journeyman and master phases. From a civilian perspective, also physical scientists. I've got forecasters uh, that work work and support my ship routing mission, that work and support my aviation mission, as well as my maritime mission. So really physical, physical scientists. Now the backbone of our operations is our IT. So I can't forget to mention um, our IT specialists and sysadmins, uh, both in a military and civilian capacity. Without them, without that backbone, I can't conduct my mission. So they're essential and equally as important to my mission. As you're, as you're preparing now for your mission moving forward, what do you expect to see as far as the evolution of the, the, the weather work 
what what happens next? What happens in the year, two years, five years out that you're preparing for today? Great question. Uh, first and foremost, uh, just modernization of our facility equipment and tools so that we can really provide the world-class uh, support and products and services that we're capable of. And so modernization of our toolkit. Uh, second to that would be the ability to and the agility to package our products and services to get it to the, the, the every customer that needs it. Uh, whether it's a disadvantaged user that has maybe in a, in a denied environment or low access to bandwidth, uh, we call that meat talk at the edge. Uh, so the ability to and have that agility to package our products in, in, in a bandwidth and small enough so that we can get our products to the person who needs it, the customer who needs it at the pointy edge of the steer. Captain Aaron Acosta, commanding officer of Fleet Weather Center Norfolk. You can read more about her command in today's show notes at fedgovtoday.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of FedGov Today, planning our coverage for TechNet Cyber. It's AFCIA's flagship event, May 2nd through 4th in Baltimore. Cyber leaders from DISA, the DOD CIO's office, and Cyber Command will explore, network, and plan for the whole-of-government effort to meet global cybersecurity challenges. You can learn more and register at event.afcia.org slash Cyber 23 and on the events page at fedgovtoday.com. Readiness is still top of mind for the military, including the sea services. Leaders from each of the services referenced readiness in remarks at Sea Airspace 2023. Aaron Duchak is Regional Vice President for Salesforce. Kerasoft and Salesforce sponsor this edition of FedGov today. Aaron says industry can help the services with their readiness challenges. A lot of leaders in the DoD and aerospace uh, uh, arenas are struggling to get real-time data around readiness, whether it's human capital uh, and talent management, or it's around um, you know logistics and and gear and readiness regarding equipment and and, and the like. So uh, that seems to be a recurring theme I'm I'm hearing. What are the kinds of tools that they're asking you for about readiness? What are the solutions that they have in mind versus uh, what the art of the possible is for people who are trying to solve those problems? Well, they all seem to want a dashboard. They want real-time information. They want to know, you know, uh, the status of their troops. Are are they ready to deploy? Or what percentage of the of the of the enterprise is ready to go somewhere or or do a job? And for that to happen, there's a lot of data that they need to have to aggregate up into those dashboards. Whether it's health records, you know, are they are they up to date on their health records? Are they trained properly? Are are, are they trained to do the mission? Uh, where are they physically? You know, on the aerospace side, it's you know where is my my talent where 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 am i being billed and if i've got you know senior level talent billing at lower rates uh, that's not a great use of my my human capital what's your sense of what the state of the quality of that data is cuz that's not something i imagine sure. that you can do much about you sure. can build them a terrific dashboard sure. you can help them assemble and collate and curate that data but What's the state of that data when it comes into a, a tool the, like a dashboard? The data, the data is there. It's just segmented throughout a lot of different data sources. Uh, you know, at MuleSoft, we can help unlock that data and bring it up into a dashboard or a report or uh, another, you know, type of engagement layer like Salesforce or what have you. Uh, but so the data is there. Typically, though, they don't always own the data, and then so there's conflict with how am I going to get the data I need and 
sometimes that data is written in a technology that's you know old and uh, you know may require uh, some other level of integration. Sometimes that data source is written in a modern cloud architecture technology, and so getting all the data from all its different sources to kind of speak up into one engagement layer is a challenge. But that's what that's what MuleSoft is here to help with. Are you still getting a lot of questions about cloud transitions, or are we kind of beyond that in the trajectory of these uh, well, IT transitions? Well, I think in the DoD space, there's still some trepidation with moving certain things to the cloud. So I think, um, you know, the DoD looks at uh, certain workflows and, and 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 data sources as permanent, so to speak, and uh, they continue to evaluate what to put in the cloud. What do you think? What do you think are the biggest issues that somebody in this space is having? What are the biggest problems that people bring to you generally and say, I just, I don't know what the next step is? Yeah, I think it's, it's typically getting to the data, mm. you know, bringing, bringing the data that exists in platforms and systems that weren't meant to evolve or change to the way we consume data today. So, you know, I want my I want my readiness dashboard on my mobile device if I'm a command leader. Well that that and again it's in so many different places. It was never really designed to to formulate into that into that product that they ask for now. Where do you see the technology going in the next year, two years, five years that these folks who are really thinking about readiness now should be preparing for today? Yeah, I think it's policy and trust needs to needs to be built. And with the technology that we have, we can, we can build that, that, um, that trusted handshake that, you know, I'm gonna access data that you don't own, but I'm gonna do it in an agreed upon way, and I'm gonna follow your policies, and that, that therefore everybody can share that data and trust one another in order to, in order to feed that real-time readiness dashboard, if you will, that, that, that uh, we need to have. So yeah. I think trust, policy, security, knowing, knowing that there's ways to get to the data, bring the data out in a way that everybody can agree to. Yeah. Yeah. What's the role of uh, the vendor community, not just your company, sure. but all the companies that work with the uh, Navy, DOD, and the federal government in general, to help them get to that end state? I, I think it's important to know that there are, there are places that you know, one technology may work better than another. For example, I, I hear in the, in the market that there's a lot of like perception that a company can do that, you know, bring the data up and all the way through up into that dashboard. I think people need to pick their sweet spots. Vendors need to really pick their sweet spots and not try to convince the government or the aerospace community that they can do, they can do everything A to Z. Because the marketing material and a lot of what people say, it can confuse the market with what their specific specialty is. Uh, how far off do you see that over the horizon? Is that something that you see approaching that, that companies are starting to get? Or is that something that you still think is, is a ways I think there's off? A, I think there's a fight for the data. You know, uh, the, the major platforms out there today thirst for the data. And so they... Um, what, you know, one of the reasons why Salesforce bought MuleSoft was because they knew in order to feed the platform they needed to bring data in from a lot of different data sources. Uh, so I think the other major platforms are going to recognize that and look at ways to do it themselves.
I don't want to use the word mistakes, so I'll use the word challenges. What are the challenges that you see organizations, especially in the defense and aerospace uh, uh, area, doing, making, having sure. in 2023. Yeah, I think I think they tend to just move a little too slow. They're they're too risk averse. You know, in many cases, you know, we're proposing pilots or small engagements. Uh, you know, uh, to to prove our technology and prove our point of view. You know, and they just they seem to be hesitant because I think they maybe we're doing a poor job of convincing them that we could we could unlock that data and we can bring it to you. And that maybe they're skeptical and they're moving a little too slow. But we'd like them to, you know, to to experiment a little bit and and, and jump into the water. Is it as simple? Is it as simple as just go faster, or is there more to it than that? Do you think? Uh, uh, you know, go faster may seem a little a little um, irresponsible, but um, take risks. Take a little more risk. Try st- try stuff out. You know. And you know, we obviously the vendor community has ways to work in non-production, and 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 I think if if it if it's close enough to home yeah. for the mission, then it's worth it's worth the time and expense to to try things out. Yeah, you talked about risk aversion, and I wonder is there an appetite to do what you just suggested, and folks, but folks hesitate because they're not sure what the response will be, or is there? Maybe not a desire. Maybe people are satisfied with the pace think, where maybe they don't need to be. Yeah, I, I think there's an appetite, but like in my in my world again, a lot of the data is dispersed throughout the enterprise. So in order to in order to get the the coalition of the willing, it takes a long time, and and it takes sponsorship and ownership and and uh, somebody to really kind of be a champion for that kind of a project. Aaron Duchak of Salesforce at Sea Airspace 2023. Karasoft and Salesforce sponsor this edition of FedGov Today. You can find all of our Sea Airspace coverage at FedGovToday.com. Coming April 17th, I'm hosting a panel at ACT-IAC's Climate Change Summit. Speaker list includes Energy CIO Ann Duncan, the acting CFO at the Commerce Department, Jeremy Pelter, Beth Killerin, the deputy CIO at GSA, and a lot more. You can find a link to see the full agenda and register on the events page at fedgovtoday.com. The Coast Guard says its new unmanned systems strategic plan will drive change in three areas, including mission execution improvement. The Guard says artificial intelligence will drive its unmanned fleet. Vice Admiral Kevin Lunday is Atlantic Area Commander for the Coast Guard and Commander of Coast Guard Defense Forces East. At Sea Airspace 2023, he says AI is a topic everyone should be interested in. And everyone should have a basic understanding of how the advances we're seeing in artificial intelligence are going to impact us, uh, not only in terms of providing opportunity, but demanding that we manage the risk that, uh, that that technology and what it brings will come along with us. Not only in the sense of, um, of our own use of AI, but use of AI by maritime industry, as the Coast Guard looks as a regulator of the maritime industry, but then in the defense national security arena, you know, the National Security Commission on AI framed uh, a race uh, with the uh, People's Republic of China, who's trying to uh, uh, to beat us on uh, AI milestones and the national imperative that we have to move quickly forward. So we'll talk about that. What does that race look like with the PRC from the viewpoint of the Coast Guard regarding AI, sir? Well, I think for us, uh, right now, our focus on AI is, although we understand and are part of the joint force and the uh, and we see PRC as the rest of the joint force does as a, as a strategic pacing challenge, 
Um, most of our focus on AI is closer to home. It's about making sure we have the data and the governance and our data tagging right, some of the fundamental basics that we'll need to position the service to be able to take advantage of AI and the uh, opportunities that it brings. And it will start um, in ways that are probably not that exciting to many people. It'll be, um, how do we do logistics better? How do we do supply chain management, uh, maintenance modeling, uh, things that are essential to us for us to be able to operate as a service, but that may not be, and operate efficiently and effectively, but may not be something the public sees that, that much of. I've been struck by the conversation about AI all across the military for that exact reason. Uh, some of the best use cases and some of the most productive use cases that people tell me about are back office, what, what one would call back office stuff like maintenance and, and so on. Is that the case in the Guard as well? Well, I think it is. As we start down this path, uh, we understood very quickly we needed to get our hands around our da data and how we were positioned to do that. And that's similar to what Dr. Martel, who's the uh, Chief Data and Analytics Officer of the Department of Defense, frequently talks about and testified about recently. There are some building blocks that the whole department needs to put in place in order to position the department and the joint force to be able to take advantage of AI. Mm -hmm. um, what is the current state of the area of your area of command as far as platforms and people. Admiral Fagan talked about some of the investments the Guard is making in developing guardsmen and women. Um, what does that look like from your perspective in the Atlantic Fleet? Well, the Atlantic area is very busy right now. We yes. maintain a high operational tempo and there's never a shortage of mission demand or demand for Coast Guard resources. Not only in our traditional areas we operate in, in the continental U.S. and U.S. territories, protecting and securing the marine, marine transportation system, which is vital for our economic prosperity and national security. But even demand for Coast Guard uh, cutters and other teams uh, to support combatant commands around the world. Whether that's um, our six fast response cutters and several hundred people of Patrol Forces Southwest Asia working for Fifth Fleet in Bahrain. Uh, whether it's a national security cutter in the, in the Baltics, uh, which we saw this last year. Um, or the Coast Guard Cutter Stone, another national security cutter that was just in Uruguay and Brazil, uh, working with them to counter illegal, unregulated, and unreported fishing. So we're very busy. I think the other mission demand we've seen quite a bit of, and it's been a little bit in the news, has been a persistent, historic surge in maritime migration from Haiti and Cuba into the southeast border of the United States. And so we've been working as part of a DHS team and a task force uh, to address that, including with other partners like the state of Florida, and in the last two months, we've seen a significant reduction in the number of attempted migrations by sea. It's primarily a search and rescue mission for us because it's such a perilous journey. Uh, but we also uh, need to protect our border and interdict uh, those ventures as far from, uh, far from U.S. shore as possible. So we've had mission success, but the pressure of what's driving that migration from the bad conditions inside Haiti and Cuba, that's still continuing. Among those mission sets, what are the components of the Guard, either people or platforms, that you draw on the most, and what are the ones that you'd like to draw on the most that maybe you don't have enough of or don't have right now? Thank you. Uh, so, we have amazing cutters. Even the ones that are our aging fleet of 210-foot cutters, some are almost 50 years old, and they require more, uh, more expense and effort to maintain them. And at the same time, we're bringing on these amazing new platforms, like the newest fast response cutter in Boston last week, we commissioned the Warren D. Amper. Uh, we'll commission the newest national security cutter, the, um, the fourth one in Charleston later this year. But those cutters, as amazing as they are, built by amazing craftsmen and tradesmen and industry, they don't become Coast Guard cutters because we paint them white and put a stripe on the side. 
they're cutters because we crew them with the finest young men, men and women from across the United States. So our people, our Coast Guard men and women and their families, that's what makes the Coast Guard special. And the Commandant talked about that with you in the Service Chiefs panel today. And we're, we're about 3,000 people short in the Coast Guard, principally in the enlisted workforce. So as the Commandant explained, we're investing in recruiting and we're paying attention to retention as well. In your area specifically, what are the skill sets that you need guardsmen and women for right now, sir? I'm, I'm sorry, the skill sets? What, yeah, what, are the, what, are, what do you need those people to come in and do in your area for, to, to help you succeed in your mission? Well, the Coast Guard has a broad range of missions, and so uh, for some it's, it's uh, maritime law enforcement, for others it's navigation and ship handling. Uh, but increasingly we're seeing uh, demand for specialization in uh, cyberspace operations. We've created a new rating, the Cyber Mission Specialist Rating, and new officer specialties to go along with it as we see uh, cyber operations become an increasingly prominent part of our operations. But we also have some other areas such as marine inspection and marine safety that as we see uh, the proliferation of autonomous technology and things like offshore energy, as a regulatory agency who has part of the responsibilities for overseeing that, we need to keep pace with understanding how to fulfill our mission. And so there's a greater demand for more specialized skill sets and knowledge in our workforce. How do you go about developing them and how do you go about keeping the guardsmen and women that you have up to speed on the skills that they need as things evolve? It, you, I imagine you're especially sensitive to that in the cyber area because of your experience as a cyber command leader. So one of the key components of the Commandant's co uh, Coast Guard strategy from last October under the first line of effort, transform our workforce, our total workforce, is, is leverage modernized ready learning. You know, you heard the CNO, maybe I think Commandant Berger talked about, we're not gonna all show up at the start of class and sit through a physical brick and mortar school anymore. Everyone learns at a different pace. And we need really to leverage live virtual and constructive training to be able to provide skills on demand with greater, at scale, with greater accessibility than we have traditionally. And so that's gonna be a critical part of our success. Mm -hmm. um, how are you doing, do you think, at, at helping every guardsman and woman understand that they're responsible for the cybersecurity of the guard? Well, we've started um, really since 2015 when Admiral Zukump as the Commandant declared cyberspace as an operational domain. Part of what we had to, uh, the path we had to travel similar to the other services was a cultural change for them to understand that it's an operational domain. And that's become, uh, an e we've gained momentum because everyone understands the proliferation of network technology that they see around them and use every day. And they have a better understanding of the risk that it presents. And so we, we've really made progress, but I think we've emphasized it's an operational domain, Coast Guard Cyber is an operational command, and we are fully integrated into the rest of the, with the rest of the Joint Force and the U.S. Cyber Command. And that is, and with the great support of the department and General Nakasone as the commander, um, we've really been able to make progress on that road. Vice Admiral Kevin Lunday, Coast Guard Area Atlantic Commander and Commander of Coast Guard Defense Forces East. You can find all of our sea airspace coverage in today's show notes at fedgovtoday.com. FedGov Today is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. You can follow the show on any of those platforms so you don't miss the next episode of FedGov Today with Francis Rose. It's coming tomorrow. Hope you join me then. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.